Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Welcome to the Hall of the Universe. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. And tonight, we're featuring my interview with Larry Wilmore. He's a comedian and host of The Nightly Show on Comedy Central. And in this interview, we talk about science fiction movies, magic tricks, and of course, the intersection of science and comedy. So, let's do this. All right. I've got with me... My co-host, Eugene Merman, Hello. professional comedian. Eugene, yes. uh, welcome it's, back. It's good to be here. Yeah, as a professional, that means... Yeah, I know, I like that you added a professional astrophysicist, not just a <laughs> dilly-dallying astrophysicist. <laughs> right, right. You just, like, you get paid to do yeah. what you're doing. Yes. So, so welcome back to Star Talk. Great. And on uh, this topic, I didn't want to do it sort of empty-handed, not that you and I should count as empty-handed, yeah. but in this case, we found someone with particular expertise, Professor Scott Weems. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having yeah. me. He is the author of a book called Ha! <laughs> did I pronounce it right? <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> Subtitled, The Science of When We Laugh and Why. And so this man, as a professional psychologist and author, knows exactly where we're coming from. So let me just find out. Um, the science of humor, that's a curious thing for me. And I always wondered, is, are you, is a person born funny? So, Eugene, were you always a class clown? It, it took a while to go from being a tragic figure to a class clown, but I eventually... <laughs> but, I, but I spent years as a child working on it. Okay. So, yeah. So not always, but at the end, yes. And what does your research go, show, Scott? Well, I mean, no, I don't think people are born funny. It's like any other art. You, know, you get good by practicing, like, a lot. And there have been studies that have looked at like professional comedians and seeing if there's any sort of common element, and there really isn't. Um, the only thing is you really want to be heard, so you have to be outgoing and like loud. But that's that's the main thing that helps. Anything else, it's kind of it's it's almost random. So what is what is laughter? Is there some chemistry going on inside of us? I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, laughter. If you want to look at it from like a psychological perspective, it's it's a way of dealing with conflict. That I'll. Our brain is confused a lot, I mean, in just daily life. There's a lot of times when we, not just when we hear a setup and punchline, but just when meeting someone for the first time on a first date, this is a very common thing to be anxious or confused. And the brain has kind of co-opted laughter, this kind of like ape-like grunt, to be a coping mechanism, I guess, for when we don't know how else to respond. It's like buying us time, I suppose. Are you telling us that when humans laugh, they're ape-like grunts? Yeah. It's our version of an ape-like grunt. It is. An ape's laugh, dog's laugh, rat's really? laugh, yeah. Rat's laugh? Rat's laugh. <laughs> You're telling me rats get jokes? <laughs> I, I'm not saying I understand rat humor, but you can actually tickle a rat and hear it laugh, yeah. Okay. You can tickle a rat. So you, it sounds like he's done this. <laughs> I would love it, it to do that. It does sound like that. Yeah, I mean, it, the thing is you can't hear it, and it's really, it, it no, takes so some work no, to measure wait, it. But. Wait, No, don't tell me you can tickle rats and they laugh. You just can't hear it. Do they slap their little it's rat me. knees? Yeah. What are they? Are they? They have the physical part, but just not the sound. Well, I can't hear it. Rats can hear it. It's like fifty kilohertz or something like that. It's, uh, you probably know the physics. Oh, you can measure the frequency yeah, of the yeah. sound they're making. Same, same as like with bats. Okay, so not that they're not making sound. Oh, it's that humans can't hear it. Yes. Okay. Oh, sorry, you have to clarify Do that. Bats laugh. Right now, we're I okay have no now. Idea. We're good. We're good now. All right. All right. So, when you laugh, is there a chemical change within you? Yeah. It, it all comes down to dopamine. 
uh, as I'm sure dopamine. You, yeah, dopamine. Um, that when you laugh, you get um, you so get. That's the happy chemical. It's the happy chemical in the yeah. brain. Laughter it, is like a not dangerous heroin. Uh, cocaine. <laughs> cocaine. Sorry, yeah. my bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> but, but you're Stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Why did you know that? <laughs> Heroin's entirely different. Yeah. Okay. yeah. But it is. It's the same uh, receptors that that with uh, cocaine with chocolate. Um, yeah. Actually, a lot of different things you get a dopamine response, and laughter is one of them. So that's why we like it so much. Let's bring my uh, interview with Larry Wilmore into this. He came by my office here at the Hayden Planetarium, and usually I ask people, you know, what kind of math and science background they might have had, and how that might have influenced their life's path. Uh, what is the genesis of who and what became that man? So let's check it out. I was very much interested in science growing up. I remember a teacher, Mr. Mitzi, I think was his name. He was our math teacher, and he was such a character. And uh, he made things a lot of fun. I actually was uh, an advanced math student early on. It was one of the things I loved. I think I was taking calculus as a sophomore or something like that. Calculus as a sophomore in high school? I believe so. Wow. And, uh, but then I kind of I lost Wait, wait. In calculus, you don't have to believe. <laughs> right. It right. is or is not. <laughs> it's true. It's, it's, well, you know what? Once you get into higher math, which you know, which I never got into real high, a lot of it becomes kind of philosophical, it seems. Well, it, you know? it's, well it's not so much philosophical. It's <laughs> that there are ideas that yeah. get represented with symbols, yes. and it's like, what the hell did I just do? Exactly. Take right. this to infinity? You know, what is that? Exactly. Right? How does that? Or as X approaches infinity. Why, my question is, why is X approaching infinity? <laughs> X might want to be careful. <laughs> I don't know what's happening over there in infinity. But X Plus, might want to go to approach it at all if it's infinitely yeah. far away. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so that's where maybe that's what you're thinking. It got a little philosophical. Yeah, once I got into the X approaches infinity, um, I thought, I may as well be doing comedy because this all doesn't make sense to me. But I was a theater major. A theater major. Mm -hmm. And you dropped out. Are you another one of these... Famous college dropouts. The, every next one of you who shows up yeah, in this office, I know. I'm going to have to say at the end of the day, kids, don't go to college. <laughs> exactly. You want to become somebody. I know. It's horrible when I get invited to speak at colleges. What's your advice? Don't finish. <laughs> um, but um, it was kind of my circumstance at the time. You know, I um, pretty much, you know, had the opportunity to do what I wanted to do. So and something came up. Exactly. It's not like you got bored with college. Correct. Or, okay, right. an opportunity. An opportunity came, came up, up yeah. in the business. And I thought, well, let me just do this. And I thought about going back at some times, but I just started working. And so what, working. Was it, what was that first gig? It was uh, the Mark Taper Forms Theater in Los Angeles. Yeah. It was in their improvisational theater project. and we it's So comedy theater. Kind, kind of. but yeah. Yeah, And we wrote a play through, in, uh, through improvisation, but it was kind of like children's theater. But it was with legitimate theater actors. It wasn't like uh, Groundlings type improv. Yeah, right. It was like theater. And uh, actually, uh, I've always kind of, I've been lucky. I've known some people who've kind of been in the business and that kind of stuff. I never got any direct break from that, but it gave me the confidence to keep going. Yeah. 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 So, and LA is the right place. It's one of the places, yeah. but I believe you can start anywhere. That's my firm belief. Really? Uh, well, I did stand-up comedy early on also. And, uh, you know, I worked all over the country. And I met a lot of people who started in many different parts, you know, especially as comics. Mm -hmm. And that was in the heyday right. of the comedy club. Because every, yeah, every city's got comedy clubs. At least right? back then. So there's, a, there's always a gig. Yeah. Now they're Chuck E. Cheese's now. You know, <laughs> in the back corner. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's so sad now. But, uh, but science, I loved science growing up. I wanted to be an astronaut. Okay. Uh, when I was growing up, I followed the space program. That's in an era before they had black astronauts. Correct. Yeah. So right. Because I didn't see, to me, that was a closed door. 
right? I said, well, they, you, they're not looking for me. Right. So this is, we're talking about an era where uh, the right. big afros and hair, right. hair it was all about the hair. Exactly. And all the astronauts. Well, the helmet wouldn't have fit. Right. <laughs> right. So that would have been a big issue. Or I thought maybe. Well, just the, a bigger helmet. Right. I thought maybe your brother gets an Apollo 13, you know, maybe that's how it works, you know. <laughs> But, uh, you know, space was not, as we Apollo say... Apollo 13 the one that failed, right? Correct, That's just right. to be clear. Uh, and Apollo 18 was the fake one in Capricorn 1, I think, or something <laughs> like that. Something like that. So I noticed you act, you even have a Peabody Award. And I did. That, that, congratulations Thank on you. that. I was very honored because Walter Cronkite gave me the award. And I'm, you know... I'm, I mean, he handed it to you, yeah? Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. And I'm, I was, uh, as I said, a big space nerd and huge fan of Walter Oh, right, because he... he, he, he announced us to the Correct. moon. That's yes. exactly right. Yes. And I was a big political junkie at the time, too, you know, and I watched Cronkite every night, so to have him give it to me, and I made a joke and kind of made him laugh, too. Yeah, what, what joke was it? Uh, well, I said, uh, you know, I never imagined that um, I would hear Walter Cronkite say my name. I mean, in my wildest dreams, I, I thought, uh, you know, I might hear something like, Larry Wilmer was arrested yesterday. <laughs> you know? I might hear that. I said, but, uh, you know, I always wanted to be an astronaut, so in my dreams, I thought I'd hear uh, astronaut Larry Wilmer black it off into space yesterday. in his voice that, yeah because yeah, exactly. that's what would make it official i said but uh or you know at the end of the day it might be former astronaut larry wilmer was arrested yesterday <laughs> <laughs> but uh so he laughed about it and i thought oh that's cool i made walter cronkite laugh so that was cool that was a great that was a fun moment yeah but i love all the conspiracy theories about not going to the moon you know what it is? I think a lot of young people don't think we were smart enough to accomplish something like that. Oh, they that, think that their ancestors were just dumb, so. dummies. I right? think we, hey, we figured out the iPhone. You guys weren't smart enough to figure that out. How the hell could you go to the moon? <laughs> so, Eugene, is there, is there an equation that'll give you the best joke? Is there, is there any math, mathematical kind of thinking? Well, there is in the sense that I think that stand-up is very much the stand -up scientific Stand-up comedy. Stand-up comedy. You go on stage, you try something. If it works, you keep it. If it fails, you switch it out and you try it okay, again. Okay, so that's the experimental method. Yeah. Well, I brought up the idea of, of mathematics manifesting itself in comedy with Larry Wilmore. So let's see what he says about mathematics in comedy. Comedy is all about math, too, you know. It's all about uh, having the correct amount of words... Jerry Seinfeld talks about this all He's very precise with every word he chooses. When I did stand-up comedy, I would eliminate just the smallest of words or phrases to make the joke just perfect. There's, a, there's the correct amount of words to make a joke perfect. Uh -huh. And once it's there, it's done. You're done with that joke, move right. on to the next one. Right. It's interesting, isn't it? I feel that way when I compose tweets. Really? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I have an idea right. in, in any given day, and I say, yeah. then I would make a good tweet. Yeah. So I write down the idea, and it's too long, of course, because right. i got to fit it. Mm -hmm. So now i got to say, all right, where is the actual essence yep. of what I'm trying You're to You're forced to crystallize and it. So, and there, take that out, mm -hmm. shorten that, pop that. And I feel almost like uh, Michelangelo when he said, mm -hmm. you know, you cut away everything that's not David. Right. And David is left. I compare everything I do to Michelangelo. <laughs> 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 Not to it's him, so but just funny how, that we have that in common. <laughs> how he explained, not him and his talent, but yes. no, no, his, his Neil deGrasse attitude. Michelangelo, I guess. <laughs> you you want to get innovative with the words so mm -hmm. that the words say what they mean and they don't have to say, there's not too many of them. So I, I, I'm with mm -hmm. you on that. Right. And I just, I do it to communicate uh, wisdom and insight rather mm -hmm. than a joke. But occasionally I put a joke out. Okay. Yep. I tell you one of my tweet jokes? I would love to hear it. If you took all the... Veins, arteries, and capillaries from a man tied them end to end. Mm -hmm. 
he would die. <laughs> the person would die. Well, I was going to say, he'd probably be a homicidal maniac <laughs> if they were doing something like that. Yes. <laughs> I would agree with that completely. Is that, do you call that something in comedy? What's that called? Um, uh, I think we could call it a logical conclusion. <laughs> no, logical conclusion. Well, there's logic in comedy then. No, yeah, logical yeah. conclusions are a legitimate form of comedy. That you set up yeah. something that sounds like it's something else, but then you take the logical conclusion. So, Scott, from your studies and from what I've read, uh, they show that there's a, there's a link between humor and creativity. What is that link? If you have people watch like a stand-up comedy routine or even just listen to it on, you know, on the radio and you give them an intelligence test afterwards, they'll do better on the test. Really? And it's not just linked with intelligence. There's creativity tests, problems of insight, things like that. They'll do better if they've had comedy before. And the idea is that it's like a form of exercise for the brain. So comedy makes you smarter. Yeah, I don't know how long the I make the people lasts. smarter is, I think, a great way to phrase this. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I'm going to get, sure? I don't have business cards, but now I would like them. <laughs> I make you smarter. So I also heard that people who laugh more die sooner. What's up with that? I have but first, is that. it true? And may I recommend you saying no? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not going to like this. So people who laugh a lot die? Yeah, I mean, people who with good senses of humor, and you can, you can test that, they do I'd tend rather to, not. They, tie, they die earlier. How much earlier, like a week or like years? Yeah, <laughs> four or five years, maybe. I mean, they, they don't have an exact number for That's it. That's a but lot if you of look at the graph, it's, it's not short. Can you, yeah. What is the explanation? Don't just give me the results of experiments. Give me why. Part of it is that there's good kinds of humor and there's bad. So there's like the Rodney Dangerfield self-deprecating humor too. And this is also really common. And if, I think if you're Rodney Dangerfield, you can get away with that. But a lot of people can't. And so you can use humor in negative ways too. And if it puts you down and it, or puts down other people, then that's creating stress on the body and we know stress is bad. So, and what you're saying is everybody at a comedy roast would be dying five years sooner than is their day. Yeah, except for I think the professionals, they probably don't internalize it like, you know, other people might. So oh. they're, they're, you're saying they just people know what who doing, are self-deprecating in real life who are just like, I'm a sad person. <laughs> oh. yeah, and then those people die. That's fine. So the comedy... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Well, when we come back, we will pick up more of my interview with Larry Wilmore as we explore the intersection of science and comedy on Star Talk. Featuring my interview with Larry Wilmore, host of The Nightly Show on Comedy Central. He's a comedian. And we're just talking about the intersection of science and comedy. So what's interesting to me is uh, the three of us are college graduates. Yeah. But what I learned interviewing Larry Wilmore is he was yet another one of Star Talk's interview subjects who's a college dropout. I I'm just curious about something. Eugene, you're a successful comedian, stand-up comedian. You are college-educated. So how is it that you became fully college-educated in a world where such success well, doesn't... Well, I went to a college. I went to Hampshire College where you can design your own major. So I majored in comedy. So, oh, okay. So, so that's, what's different there is you made the college fit you instead yeah. of you having to fit the college. Yeah. Well, that's different. Th that's sure. That's, that's but everything. I had a very nice time. I did a, my thesis was a one-hour stand-up act, and then I did stuff on the physiology of laughter and, and all sorts of things. It was all wrong, but, it was, but I learned a lot. <laughs> so, you, so you, like, wrote papers on laughter? I wrote a, a whole inaccurate paper. The best part of my paper <laughs> on the physiology of laughter is that I had a footnote, and when you looked at the bottom, it said, made you look. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. 
<laughs> so, so Scott, is there? Um, this sounds like you can be taught comedy. You can learn, teach yourself comedy. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it is an art. So in that way, I think you're right. Practice. I mean, they say you know, with the five P's for getting to Carnegie Hall, you practice and practice and practice, 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 and that's essentially what it to is. Five. It used to be three. Yeah, I know. Times are tough. It's yeah. five now. <laughs> No, it's like any other art, though. You can still, like with painting, you can still study things like line and contour and form. So there's still things you can study with humor. But, like, you know, you can't just read a book and all of a sudden be funny. You've got to really get in front of audiences and you know, spend a lifetime working on it, yeah. So something that shows up in a lot of comedy is the unexpected, right? What, what role does that play? Is that, like, essential? Is that, like, the biggest variable here that you want to promote in being funny? Yeah, I mean, you need surprise. If you don't have surprise, then you're just going to bore your audience. But it's kind of surprise along with this new way of thinking about something. So it has to be like a destination, too. And so, like, the good jokes... What do you mean by destination? Well, they'll be, they'll be the setup. And then you realize you, you've got everything wrong, and then the, comes the punchline, and, and there's the, the kind of surprise, the end, you, the payoff. Because you and, invested in establishing this landscape, and then the landscape gets completely dissolved by the end because a whole new understanding has been handed to you. You think you're thinking one way, and then something turns, and you see everything that you've just heard in a new way. So that's formulaic, in a sense. Kind of, yeah. I mean, we think of surprises by itself funny, but that's, that's like just hiding behind a door and then yelling, boo. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. not... No, every st- it would be great if every story ended with just someone going, boo! Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not really the good laugh. There's always something that there has to be some meaning behind it. So uh, another thing I noticed is if you're at a table with a complete stranger and you both laugh at the same joke, you've got some sense of communality there, some sense of real community. That's, I mean, that's an interesting... Do they study sort of the anthropology of laughter in this regard? Yeah, I mean, it's a very social thing, humor. I mean, like, comedians, they perform in front of audiences. They, they wouldn't do well if it was, like, an empty room. It kind of falls flat. You can't tell a joke that way. And it turns out that the more people you have in a room, the, the better the laughter will be. So it's contagious, literally contagious. And the closer you pack people in, the, f- the more they'll laugh, too. And right. alcohol helps, too. So if you get them crowded and give them alcohol, studies show that. <laughs> but, but if it was, like, too many people who were too drunk, it would be bad. There is, like, a probably perfect amount. You wouldn't actually want, like, a 1,000 people in a 100-square-foot wa- room drunk out of their minds. I'd love to see that study and look for yeah. where that drop-off is. It'd be like, you know? yeah, it's about, uh, yeah. Okay. So, so it's a, it's, in math, we call it a maximization problem. That's what I would love to do for drinking and comedy. <laughs> right, <laughs> Um, so I've, I've learned as an educator that if people smile, if people laugh, they're more eager to look, if, if that was the consequence of something I just taught, they're, they want to learn more. They associate a good feeling with it rather than a bad one. And to this day, I've, I've realized, and I was going to tweet this, I haven't gotten around to it yet. Only in a university environment is it okay for you to say, I'm going to go to a room and have someone lecture to me. Any other day of your life, you will never say that. And if you tell someone, I'm going to lecture you, it is a bad thing. It is something you want to avoid. And so my sense of it is a lecture that has humor is not, doesn't have the stigma of the lecture, and then people might want more of it. And so, so, so I'm just saying I've had people come back for more when I folded it with things that are funny. And I, personally, I think the universe is hilarious, personally. And there's a science behind that, too. It's actually like 15%, I think, give or take, that retention on a test will be better, about 15%, if you've incorporated jokes to help people study the material better. 
So if you can put jokes into your lessons, you, people will retain it better. But it has to be related to the material. It can't just be, and then we, let me tell you a knock-knock joke is a break. That, that doesn't help. It. If it's, but if it's related to the stuff, then it helps. Yeah, and the universe is freaking hilarious. I'm, <laughs> that's just what I found. Yeah. Just all the ways, interesting ways to die, you know. <laughs> like well, What's the third best way? The third best way to die. I know the first, black hole. Second, probably just falling. And then what's the third? <laughs> should write a book on that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, let me get back to my uh, clips. <laughs> you flustered Larry yeah, Wilmore. Fair enough. We, we are featuring my interview with Larry Wilmore here. So I don't know if you know, but Larry Wilmore is trying to actually include more scientists on his show. In fact, I was on a show once, and I was delighted. And uh, in my interview, we talked about what his efforts are to make science more of the talk show conversation. So let's check it out. You're one of our most popular guests, I have to say. What does that mean? I've been on once. No, you were, people were so excited that you were on our show. I think they were let down that I was there. <laughs> yeah, <we're still laughs> yes, exactly. Finally, Larry, finally here's the brother we wanted in late night. What's this other brother doing? There? No, you were such a popular guest. It was but you also had my, my good friend who recently moved to town, Bill Nye. That's right. Show. Yeah. Yes. Because he's Bill Nye. He's the science guy. He's the science guy. Yeah. He's the real deal. Right. Uh, so it's good that you had him on. I mean, not everyone... I mean, yeah. I, I think of talk shows where they never think to have a scientist yeah. on. Yeah. And that's not... What does that mean? You know, is science not enough in pop culture to even go there, to think about it, to at least infuse it? Even yeah. if just to have fun, you know? And you sure. had fun. We talked about... Exactly. It's crazy conspiracy people. And it's not like you can't have fun with science. I agree. I think people just don't know how funny protons are. <laughs> you know? or, um, or molecules. Molecules are hilarious. I mean, alien life has always been a source of comedy. Right. Oh, now there's a question. What is the deal with Pluto right now? Is it a planet or not? Yeah, just get over it. That's it's not. The, that's the deal. No, it's not. But didn't it come back to being a no, planet? No, there was a straw poll among right. Pluto fans. Right. And how do you think they're going to vote? They're going to vote, yeah, make it a planet again. But why is there so much hater aid at Pluto? Why can't it be a planet anymore? Well, what did it do? Well, I, so every Pluto lover I know, is, uh-huh. I noticed that they're missing some information. Oh, okay. Yeah, they don't, what is that? it's not there. That right? it wasn't actually a planet? Well, so, so do you know that our moon is five times the mass of Pluto? So you're hating on the planet because it's small. Our moon. That's what you're saying. That's just the beginning. That's not, e- that's not even the best reason why. I'm you just, know, size really doesn't matter. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just starting out With For you to say that. that size matters, come on. In, in the universe, size matters. <laughs> yes. He took me there. He went to Pluto. I mean, I thought I should have warned him before the interview. You don't take me to Pluto. I'm done with Pluto, just so you know. Coming up on Star Talk, we hear Larry Wilmore had to say about geek credentials. Star Talk continues. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery 
information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. We're featuring my interview with Larry Wilmore, comedian, and anytime I interview somebody, no matter who they are, hewn from pop culture, I want to know if they have some hidden geek credentials. Almost everybody does. They just don't admit to it in any other interview because they, they don't get any street cred for doing so. But on Star Talk, that's where the street cred is found. So I had to I checked with Larry Wilmore to see what is he at. Let's check it out. Do you count yourself a member of the geek community? I am, but in different ways that might surprise you. Really? Mm-hmm. So give me an example. Like I'm, I'm a magician. I do sleight of hand magic. Magicians do know how to uh, demythologize and demystify in the same way that uh, someone of your... A scientist would. Yes, because you have information that most people don't have. Right. On purpose. Correct. Withheld from. Exactly. And and in fact, that's one of the famous edicts from Arthur C. Clarke. There you go. Any sufficiently advanced technology... Yes. Right. ...is indistinguishable from magic. That's exactly right. And a lot of of early magic was technology, and a lot of uh, techniques that magicians uh, used in the early days even from things like mirrors or technological... Magic's good. I mean, that's, that's an important... That's yeah. really important geek cred. Exactly. Thank you very much. Totally yeah. there. I always, uh, to prove it... Uh, you carry a deck of cards? I always, always have a deck of cards. I think this, this proves the geek cred. Is it, is, is it a legit go. deck? Yeah, it's an old deck. It's all beaten up. That's what any magician would say. Yeah, it's a regular deck. <laughs> it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I always have these with me because, you know, I'm always, mm-hmm. uh, like, maybe practicing that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, well, that's nice. That's yeah. good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Let me show you the one I did. I got one here. Okay. okay. So I, I learned how to cut with one hand. Nice. A knife. Oh, right. I'm oh, sorry. Oh. I'll do that. Yep. Very good. Oh, okay. very good. That's so called a, little... a Charlier cut, by the way. Charlier? Uh-huh. That's what it's called. That'll I'll show you a, a different version of that, too. Uh-huh. I don't know if the camera can see me there. Yeah, they got you coming <laughs> from here. See, if you cover like that, you know, that's the uh, six of hearts, and you lift like that. See, it becomes the uh, Joker. I don't know how it's done, you know. It's just, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What happened? Something happened there, but that joker, when you take it back and you just spin around, that becomes a six, so I don't know. Cards just change like this. Yeah, it's, it's just, just on you. You have no... It just happens like You don't like even that. understand like, it. Right. Like, I don't know how it works, so there you go. Another way to cut, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Here's a, here's a fun way to cut, too. 
That's a good one-handed cut. Ooh, there you yeah, go. that's what they do at the poker table. Exactly. Because exactly. those are the guys that flip the chips. Yeah, you don't want to do this stuff at the poker table, by the way. It's, <laughs> it's how you're going to get shot. <laughs> <laughs> so, in that last clip, we hinted at what magicians and scientists have in common. We have an understanding of a phenomenon that often a person looking on does not, except it's the scientist educator's duty to explain what's going on, and it is the magician's duty to hold it a secret. And so th this is just a fascinating distinction between the two. But in both cases, you can get people to laugh and enjoy science. Science demos are, are one of the most popular things in a, in, a, in a college curriculum, be they in the physics class or in chemistry class, you know, watching chemicals change color and all of this. You know, Larry, in, our, in my interview, asked me if I had a favorite scientist. Now, I thought everyone in the universe knew who my favorite scientist was. Because it's easy, it's an easy answer for me, but apparently he didn't know. So let, let's check out what he said. Okay, pound for pound. Who are you taking? Pound for pound. Smartness. You're in a room, you get to learn from one of these people. Newton? Newton. Einstein? Newton. Newton. Newton, that's we're, we're it. We're done here. That's it. We're done. Okay. Okay. Right. No, I'll, I'll still hear you out. You realize this is my hand. This isn't actually Newton. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I will hear you out nonetheless. Right. Go. Oh, I was just going to say Newton, Einstein, or um, I don't know. Who would you put? Uh, uh, da Vinci could go on that list. Leonardo. Galileo. Yeah, they're all good, they're all good people. Yeah. But da Vinci? You put on that list? Kind no, of if, if it's a list where you want me to decide from, uh -huh. I would put him in that list. But I'm, still, but I'm still picking <laughs> Newton. I'm still okay. picking Isaac Newton. All right. You just read what he wrote. Your hair stands up on the back of your neck. Yeah. The, the board, the, he was connected. Yeah, no, he was the smart one. To the universe. All right. He invented calculus. He's pretty smart. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have a lot of free time in your hands to invent something like calculus, by the way. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> I don't know if he had much of a social life. <laughs> yeah, he didn't. In fact, all evidence shows he died a virgin, actually. So, really? So you, got, you figure that one out, too. When you're inventing calculus, it takes up a lot of your time. <laughs> uh, when Star Talk continues, Larry Wilmore and I geek out on Star Wars versus Star Trek on Star Talk. <laughs> Star Talk is back. We've got Eugene Merman, Scott Weems. Scott with a book. <laughs> I love saying that. <laughs> Did you come up with the title? My wife came up with it. Okay. I have to give her that. I wish I could say I did. That's <laughs> no, a great title, just talking about uh, the, the science of laughter and comedy. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're featuring my interview with Larry Wilmore. And we, you know, we, we had to have our geek moments. Once I learned he was a geek, we had to go where geeks go. Mm -hmm. And one of those places is... Star Wars versus Star Trek. And if you get into Star Trek, is it, is, is it Kirk or Picard? We had to, yes, we went there. All right, <laughs> let's find out how it resolved. I was a huge Star Trek fan. Star Trek. Yeah, okay. Star Trek fan. And Star Wars mm -hmm. when it came out. First three, I should say. Of course. The original. Yeah. Well, the only. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very excited about the new one, though. Yeah. Okay. I do a Lando impression, by the way. It shows you how geeked out. Is that right? Let me, let me I see. Do a Lando. <clears throat> I only say one phrase, though. How you doing, Chewbacca? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so impressions are kind of a geeky thing that I do, too. I do a lot of impressions. And it, it helps you in the comedy club, too. 
Yes. If you don't exactly. have impression, you you need a place to go. It doesn't really help you in the bar scene, but it helps <laughs> you in the comedy <laughs> scene. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Um, <laughs> Want to hear me my, imitate Chewbacca? Yes. Yeah, have, have, they'll my get Lando, you laid. Yeah. My Lando Calrissian. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, so then I have to ask you. So, yes. Kirk or Picard? Kirk? Yeah, it's me, not even close. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm, Are you kidding me? I love me some Picard. Don't get me wrong. The man, the sure. actor, but if I had to be one of those... Uh, yeah, It's it, Kirk. It'd be it's Kirk. not even... Plus... But what's your main reason for that? If, well, there's so many things. I mean... The top of the list. Give me one. It's two eighties, you know. First of all, it's, there's something just not right about it. Star Trek was its purest in the sixties, and Kirk just represented just this. Uh, first of all, he's the purest American version of that Western id, you know. Man, you get all psycho philosophical. <laughs> yes, this. you know, of See, just my my main reason was that he actually got into fights. Yes, but that's what it is. It's a Western. He would the have original. He, he would. Fight. Yes. He is the damn captain of the ship. Because and he's, a, he's fighting yes. aliens. Correct, because the original Star Trek is a space western. That's exactly what it is. And but Picard, I don't think he ever laid a fist on it anybody. It got very philosophical. It got a bit, a bit too erudite. Erudite. If, but what beats this? Spock, buns, we must find the way to go. I mean, come on. Damn it. Damn it, Jim. All that stuff is great. My favorite moment mm -hmm. my second reason why i'd want to yeah. meet spock and i um there's one of the episodes for you is your favorite no 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 uh, uh kirk, kirk so, no. my second reason very mm -hmm. close second for why i want to be kirk first mm -hmm. is that he gets into his own fights yes so and he can kick some butt if he has to yes all right second there was a an episode, forgive me, I don't remember the name of the episode. Any mm -hmm. Star Trek fan would know the name. Right. Like, there's a Klingon vessel out the front window, mm -hmm. and <laughs> the they and, window. <laughs> <laughs> roll down the window. Say, Could you move? <laughs> on screen or, or on window? On, screen, on the screen. You're right. And so, uh, out the dashboard, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have that side uh, dash, too. So, you didn't have to roll down the whole window. You just did that <laughs> you side. Catch, catch so, you thing. know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they don't have those anymore. The little nope. triangle window. I love those. Gone. Things. Gone. Yep. So, plus, you can angle it. I like angling the exactly. juncture that where yeah. the wind comes in. For people who were smokers, they could just do that kind of thing, right? I didn't know that. I'm just making that up. I'm just making it up. Geometry lovers. Yes, exactly. Uh, so, mm -hmm. so, uh, so there's a scene where the Klingon vessel is threatening the ship, right? But, and the ship that like its its shields don't work, mm -hmm. and but they then they and they're going to say we're going to destroy the ship, mm -hmm. and, and so Kirk says. He makes something up. He says, mm -hmm. uh, we have, uh, if, if, if you destroy the ship, it will explode. We will self-destruct right. and take you with us mm -hmm. with a special code that I will type into the computer now. Mm -hmm. And Spock knows he's, he's full of right? And Spock says, Spock says, Jim, this is, this is no time for a game of chess. <laughs> and he said, Spock, it's not chess. It's poker. <sighs> Come on. That was it. Come on. It's the bluff. It's the Kirk. bluff. That's Kirk. Yeah. That's Kirk. Okay. He's the only one that defeated the Kobayashi Maru. Mm. Mm. Because he cheated. <laughs> <laughs> Let's celebrate the cheaters. <laughs> <laughs> so the genre, highly successful genre of science fiction, obviously it's based on science at some level. But also, I think the best of the science fiction has some dose of comedy. And the comedy kind of gives you access to 
sort of the humanity of the characters, of the storylines. I think comedy is an important part probably of all entertainment or literature. I mean, the good or all books, storytelling. Yeah, storytelling involves comedy a lot just because it keeps people engaged. I mean, The Martian is a great example of that just because... Martian the Book by Andy Weir. As you know, the book became a film, The Martian, and that lone astronaut left behind on Mars is Matt Damon. And so he's cracking joke one-liners all the time. He has, he has confrontations with hopeless situations. He must tap his scientific ingenuity to survive them physically, but it is rife with humor, which you get the sense he invokes to survive it emotionally. Now, it just so happens, through our crack team of internet connectors, uh, we have Andy Weir on video right now live. Uh, can you get, do you guys have him live? Let's bring him up. Uh, to Andy Weir, the author of The Martian. Andy. Hi, how you doing? Hey, Andy Weir. Oh, thanks for having Welcome me. Welcome to this the Hall uh, of the Universe. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know if you, uh, if, if you know this, but I actually, I sent you a copy of the book and a, a fan letter to you, like back before it had published and stuff. <laughs> okay, I got to check my, 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 he's calling me out, like in, on, on national no, 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 television. No, 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 <laughs> this is when, this is when, this is when no one had ever heard of it, and I'm sure you get piles and piles of this stuff, so I, I didn't really expect a response, but I, I know this sounds like I'm kissing ass, but um, when, it, when I was writing the book, whenever I was tempted to use hand-wavy physics or, uh, or take a shortcut and not be accurate, I honestly, I thought to myself, what if Neil deGrasse Tyson reads this? <laughs> Well, I, I'm honored that I would give you such anxieties writing, <laughs> uh, writing this story. Now, now, not everyone would have necessarily thought to put as much humor in it as you have. And so, so my question is, uh, how did you come up with the idea that comedy would be what will be necessary to keep this guy alive on the surface? Well, it was kind of necessary because... Um, you know, uh, it's it, he's alone on Mars, and so a first-person narrative was pretty much critical. Otherwise, it'd be really boring. And then also, there's a lot of science that I wanted to explain to the reader and not assume the reader already knew. And I didn't want it to read like a Wikipedia article. So you, you've got to be funny. You've got to throw jokes in there and one-liners. And so basically, the whole book he has this gallows humor, right? Where he's like, "Well, I'm probably going to die today." <laughs> yeah. I, so I wonder if you are opening up a new variation in a genre here? I don't know. I, I mean, every genre has uh, comedic versions of it, right? I mean, there are comedy action films. Or this is a comedy survival story. I mean, you, can, you can throw comedy into anything. So, now, so now, now, it's one thing to say, let me put in a joke. It's another thing to be able to do that in the first place. Not everyone <laughs> has that much comedy contained within them to give to a story such as what you wrote. So... Well, you're the first person who's ever told me I'm full of comedy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andy, congratul heartfelt congratulations from all of us Thank at Star Talk to your success. So, Star Talk audience, give it up for Andy Weir. All right. Thank you. We got to take a break, but when Star Talk continues, we're going to take your questions on the physics of science fiction. Check us out. Star Talk is back. 
and right now we're going to feature our recurring segment called Cosmic Queries, where we actually take questions solicited from our fan base. And in this particular case, the topic is the physics of science fiction. And Eugene, you've got you you you. I have a few questions. Yeah, and I've not seen these. No. So it's it's not about whether they. If I don't know the answer, I'll just say I don't know. But it, I haven't seen them. Yeah. Okay, so I will be surprised. Yeah, let, let, get ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Bring it on. Yeah, all right. Nathan Noble from Seattle, Washington asks, the story of Ender's Game uses a device called an Ansible to communicate instantaneously across far galactic reaches. With the speed of light being a limiting factor for the travel of information as we know it, are there theories for faster than light or instantaneous communication? Oh, yeah, completely. Oh, yeah. Next, next question. <laughs> no. no details? <laughs> it was a yes-no question. So, one, you can open a wormhole, yeah. and you can travel through the fabric of space and time, crossing vast distances in much less time than it would take light to cover those same distances. Another way, which would be really cool, is if you can quantum entangle objects at vast distances. And quantum entanglement, we can do this with particles, mm -hmm. and it's a... It's a quantum physics phenomenon where one particle is quantum entangled with another so that they're sharing information simultaneously. So What's that if the difference you, between that and dating? And <laughs> so if this one, if you change the information on this one, the information on the other one changes instantaneously no matter its distance. Oh, well. So it is in fact communicating at faster than the speed of light. Problem is right now we can only do it for like particles, Quantum entanglement is a thing. It's that a people, particle thing. And, right. and it's been done. It's oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got, we got particle entanglement. That's not the issue. The issue is, since you are a collection of particles, yes. many, many particles, Agreed. to get all those particles to quantum entangle coherently right. with some other set of macroscopically another assembled... Another Eugene somewhere another else. Another Eugene somewhere else. We don't know how to do that. Yeah. Well, I have some suggestions. <laughs> Next um, question. Brian uh, Zayak from Encino, California asks, please explain the difference between warp drive on Star Trek and hyperspace in Star Wars. Oh. You know, I don't know if I'm qualified for that. I would say if you're not, then who is? <laughs> no, because for, uh, for a while I thought I really had the warp drive. Well, what's hyperspace? Because I think warp oh, drive Oh, hyperspace, be... it's just they go faster than light. That, that's all. Oh, really? Yeah. So that is sort of explaining it. But yeah, but they like, don't. They don't. Yeah, okay. Through magic. Hi, in hyper in the hyperspace jump, there's no discussion of the warping of space, and they're, they're talking about Star Wars, right? They're talking about both. Okay. They're asking how does the warp drive on Star Trek work, and then how does hyperspace work? But, uh, hyperspace, which was first introduced in Star Wars. Yeah. Star Wars makes no attempt to respect known laws of physics. So as far as they're concerned, they just went faster than light. And there's not this attendant conversation about the warping of space. Are you saying the force is somehow made up? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, uh, Larry Wilmore had a question for me. Let's find out. So let me ask you this. Um, Mars. Mars. Is there a possibility that there could have been... I don't mean microbial life, but I mean actual intelligent, like human life mm -hmm. on Mars at one time. I, now, gone, gone now, I say yes, gone now. Now extinct. Now extinct. 
I mean, could Mars have been inhabitable for a variety of reasons? Maybe the atmosphere is different. It's all broken down okay, now. So all okay. that kind of stuff. So, I think about that often. And some people think life on Earth may have started on Mars. And, yeah, that they get panspermia, yeah. it's called. Meteorites coming over. Yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stowaway microbes. Yeah. See, I know a little bit Stuck in a, yeah. in a thing coming across the planets. Yeah, Starts here, spawns there. Mm -hmm. So, here's the interesting thing about civilization. Mm -hmm. um, on Earth, mm -hmm. if all humans left Earth today, mm -hmm. you can ask, how long would you have to wait before there wasn't a trace of our existence here? Mm -hmm. You have to wait until the continents subducted, mm -hmm. bringing entire cities with them into the lower levels of our, the Earth's crust. Mm -hmm. And in, in those zones, it's so hot, everything melts back and it gets spewed out of a volcano again. What's the time frame? Uh, for that, millions of years. Millions of yeah. years is not that long. Okay, so now watch. Right. Mars is not as geologically active as Earth. Now. Now, but you have to go way, way far back. When, millions when of years. No, but billions, billions. Oh, so now you're getting into billions. Billions, billions, right. billions. So mm -hmm. I think it's unlikely on Mars. We would we would see settlements along the riverbanks that are now completely dry. There would be if why would you lose a city but still have the dried riverbed that's there? That does that that doesn't play. Uh. Right? If you're going to. But we were it, relating it to what's here, though. Yes. Well, how else can you do it? I mean, well, there's an alien city that evaporates when they're done with it. I mean, I don't. Well, it, it, I don't know. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Evaporating cities. They yeah. Like self destruct. That's cool. It's cool, but not likely. Not, cool, but not likely. Precisely. When we come back, we're going to find out what Bill Nye's take is on comedy and see what kind of comedy mojo he carries with him on Star Talk. We're back on Star Talk. We've been talking about the science of comedy. The science of comedy. And one of my best friends, Bill Nye, moved from Seattle to LA and now lives in New York. And he, he's a friend of Star Talk, And we, every show, we try to catch up with him to see what he's up to. And he, he did you know he got a start as a stand-up comedian? I did. did. You, you knew that? Yeah. Did you know that? Bill Nye. I did know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as a stand-up comedian. And so he's got the timing, so he knows how to work a crowd, how to, how to be in front of an audience. And recently, he worked with some comedy improv folk. And he produced something called Sharing Science through comedy. Let's check it out. So we are now going to play a traditional, fabulous, classic improvisational game called Tap Out. We'll start with Jonathan. I'm a very simple man. I work at this ice cream place and nothing wows me because I'm bored. <laughs> so here's your swirl. Chocolate, vanilles. Uh, my favorite. Uh, uh, you're bored with ice cream? It's very exciting. It's got, um, it's got cold, and we wouldn't have things this cold if we're without our fundamental understanding of the second law of thermodynamics. That doesn't excite you? <laughs> Yawn. But the ice cream is made of the same stuff that you and I are. The ice cream is made of the ancient stardust from exploding stars. You and I are made of the dust of the cosmos. And yet... We are able to understand it and enjoy vanilla chocolate swirls at the same time. 
Oh, that's a good ice cream flavor, Dust of the Cosmos. <laughs> See, you're more into it than you realize. <clears throat> uh, what's, ha what's happening there? Crystal ball, ah. just relax so that I can read your aura. I'm very in touch with the universe. I can... <laughs> that now stop, don't touch your aura. <laughs> You're not the first person to tell me that. Touch your aura, you'll go blind, Bill. All right. So can I ask you where we should look for the next supernova? Okay, give me just one second. God, that'd be cool. That way. You know, uh, that guess is every bit as good as the best astrophysicist guest. <laughs> Nicely done. Thank you. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Look here, Mr. Travel Agent. We're just a couple of creationists, and we just want to go somewhere <laughs> nice and warm. Yeah. Do you want to go to a warm place uh, where people embrace the idea of creation or creationism, or do you want your minds expanded and understand oh, the scientific no, no, no. truth. I don't think we want that. Yeah. I don't think we want our minds expanded at all. No. No, no, no. Uh, we like two things. <clears throat> God and heaven. <laughs> uh, how about um, Jamaica? Okay. It's warm and beautiful there. And you can see layer after layer after layer of limestone from ancient seas, 300, 350 million years old. And you could look at the fossils and infer, along with rubidium strontium dating, how old the world is. And you could have your whole evolutionary view brought into focus. Do they have a buffet? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, hey, you guys, give a hand for Carrie and Jonathan. We have proven. Beyond a shadow, which is also a scientific phenomenon, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the hypothesis that science can be funny. Thank you very much. So, presumably, you guys have a favorite joke, and I want to know it before we close the show. Eugene. I, I don't think you do. <laughs> sure. Scott. Favorite joke? Um, so a dog walks in a telegraph office and says he wants to send a message. The guy says, sure, what's your message? He goes, yeah, it's a woof, 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 woof. And the operator pauses and goes, you know, that's, that's only nine woofs. You can send a tenth woof for free. And the dog says, yeah, but that would make no sense. <laughs> I'm the scientist. I get a pass. That's what I'm coming <laughs> Plus, you have to explain what a telegraph office is to anyone under yeah. 50. <laughs> I love the fact that when I tell that joke, people always bring up the telegraph, and they don't address that like it's a dog talking. Yeah, I know. You know? <laughs> Which is like a whole other science point, yeah. So we're out of time and possibly out of jokes. So guys, thanks for being on Star Talk. Scott, Eugene, you've been watching Star Talk from the Hall of the Universe of the American Museum of Natural History, and I've been your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist, and it is my duty and pleasure and honor to bid you to keep looking up. Woo!